Hello and welcome to the Glasgow PT Podcast. It is uh, episode 32 and I'm delighted to announce a guest all the way from America. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for his time today and it's, you've probably seen a million um, shares of his stuff and his, um, you know, sort of like uh, how you can capture someone's attention in about 40 to 100 characters, mate, is very impressive uh, and especially resonate with people um, from only using those characters. And it's Jordan's diet. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, man. So, Jordan, just um, for people who don't really recognize the voice and more see your post, give us a bit of an intro of who you are, mate, and um, what you've kind of been up to. Yeah, so I uh, I got into fitness when I was like eight years old just because I started wrestling. So I wrestled when I was eight, and uh, that became my life. It's like all I cared about. It's all I focused on. So I made varsity as a freshman in high school, but I had to cut a lot of weight. So I was cutting from 112 pounds to 103 pounds. I'm not sure what that is in kilograms, um, but it was a significant amount of weight every week, sometimes two or three times a week that I had to cut. And um, basically as a young kid, as a 13, 14 year old kid, I was going up against 17, 18 year old kids. So. I was good technique wise and endurance wise, but strength wise, I wasn't where I needed to be. So I ended up applying to a gym nearby just as a, to get an internship to see if I could learn about strength training and, and nutrition. And I became obsessed. It's like, I loved strength training. I love nutrition. And it was a really, really high level, high quality gym. I was very fortunate that they took me under their wing. And, um, that was that was it. Like as soon as I started doing that, I knew I wanted to be in strength and conditioning and and nutrition and and performance. And um and I've done that ever since. I did that all through high school, uh after after high school and through college. And then I basically I started my own website when I was in college, um, not because I wanted a business. I didn't even know. I mean, at that time it was 2011. I didn't know an online business was possible. Uh, I was just writing articles to try and teach people what I was doing weight training wise and nutrition wise. And throughout the years and years and years of writing, people eventually started asking me to coach them online and to do that type of stuff. And, um, and from there, then I started posting on Facebook. And then when Instagram came out, I paid, started posting on Instagram and, uh, it just sort of steamrolled to where now I have an, an online coaching business and just do stuff on Instagram and YouTube. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, so you've kind of been there from the very start of online coaching. Yeah. Uh, because it has kind of boomed in the last four or five years, but it has been about from then, I'd say 2011. And um, with the rise in social media, it's, you know, everyone and anyone pops online coach in their bio and that's that's then um, good to go. <laughs> uh, so you will have seen the sort of differences in the, the way that, you know, some trainers, and you, you do a lot of stuff for, uh, for personal trainers, businesses and stuff like that, you offer help and for me, like the biggest thing that I found when I started personal training is everyone's very quick to move on to online coaching without having done the manuals uh, in the field. And obviously you had very much done the manuals in terms of yourself. You had saw what works for you and you were willing to share that. But in that time, you then built up, I'd imagine, a million conversations with people, helping them and, you know, getting people results. And I just feel that, you know, I, I said this a few times in this podcast that too many people are too quick to jump on that laptop and cost a Starbucks kind of thing. Um, whereas you know yourself that you've got to put the others in, and because people start to notice, you know they're not they're not silly. They'll, they'll maybe buy something once, but they won't buy it again. Uh, and over in the states, you know, you guys there's, there's a ton of a ton of accounts over there. It's crazy busy. Like I mean, our market's busy, but you guys are it's crazy busy over there. Um, so what would you say? What would your advice be? Just quickly before we get into other stuff, <clears throat> to any personal trainers listening to this, 
you know, one year into PT or not even started PT and already the end goal is put the tools down and I want to sit in, you know, a coffee shop. What would your advice to them be? Probably the worst thing that you could possibly do as a coach. Um, there's, I, I've said it for a long time. I, I think I, I made Facebook posts about this in 2013, 2014, because I was still, co- I was still coaching in person. So basically, what happened is I, I coached in person from freshman year in high school to the end of high school, just doing that internship, working there for years. I worked there five days a week for years. So by the time I graduated high school, I had more coaching experience than a lot of college people do, especially when people graduate with an exercise science degree, they'd never actually really coached anybody yet. So I'd already been doing that for four years. Then I went to college and I, well, actually I took a year off. I lived in Israel for a year and I coached people. I started, I had these like beach boot camps that I would do in person with people and for free. Um, And then after that, I moved back to the States and I went to school for, I started with exercise science, but I switched to behavioral health psychology. Um, but then I coached the powerlifting team. I started and I coached the powerlifting team all four years of college. And then when I graduated college, I moved back to Boston and I coached for several years all the time while building my online, but I was coaching in person the vast majority of time. And I've said, I think I made a Facebook post in like 2012, 2013, basically saying the effect of being a great in-person coach will help you become a great online coach, but being a great online coach will not help you become a better in-person coach. And I think it's really important for coaches to understand that if your main goal is just get online and not really coach anybody in person, usually what's going on is your main goal is focused around money. And I won't say there's anything wrong with that because who am I to judge based on anyone else's goal? But I have noticed that the people, the industry, this industry has a very high burnout rate. Like there's a massive burnout burnout rate among coaches. Very few people are in it for a long time. And I think it's because a lot of people get into this industry because they think it's going to be easy money. And when that's your perspective going into it, it's sort of like with fat loss. If you think it's going to be very easy to lose fat, you're more likely to quit. Because when you hit a plateau and when it gets difficult, you quit. But if you know going into it, it's going to be a grind and it's going to be very difficult and you're okay with that going in, you're far more likely to succeed because you have realistic expectations. So for me, I think one of the best things you can do as a coach is spend three, four, five years really coaching people in person a lot. That doesn't mean you can't post online. It doesn't mean you can't coach online. But if your only driver of success, if your main view of success is I'm when I'm fully online working on the beach writing programs whatever like you're setting yourself up for failure not to mention one of the biggest things I see coaches really struggling with is they say they don't know what type of content to make they don't know what to put on social media what and I'm like if you've coached people for a meaningful period of time you know there is an infinite amount of content to make you are, are never out of ideas because the questions just keep coming in. And not to mention, you know so much about the theory and the practice of strength training and nutrition that you know there are a million ways to frame it. So if someone's telling me they don't know what type of content to make, usually what that means is they don't have enough knowledge in order to make content whatsoever. I think I totally agree. And that was what I was thinking before you even got to there. And too many coaches to speak now and don't listen. Yeah. Um, and I- and like I said at the start of the podcast, John, there's a reason that you get so many shares on your stuff. Not because you've managed to work out how to, you know, the secret to getting people to share your stuff. It's because you resonate with so many people. Why do you resonate with so many people? Because you've had so many conversations. You've listened to so many people over the years. 
So when you say something, it's like, wow, he's literally, is he behind me? Is he in my house? You know, <laughs> that's, what, that's what it's like, though. And, you know, I, I've, I've helped some trainers, younger trainers and stuff, and they're like, I just don't know what to post. And I'm like, look about you. A perfect example, Jordan, was they were like, I just don't know what to post. And I look around, and there's two guys, two young guys, you know, kind of average body fat, sitting on the, you know, the, the sort of seated bikes, you know. I, I don't want to, you know, preempt someone's goals, but the chances are those two guys want to build some muscle. They were 18, 19. You know, this young trainer that I was helping is 22, 23, knows a lot more about training than them. Um, and I'm like, look about you now. I'm not even telling you to go over and approach those guys. Don't, not, not even that. I'm saying you're struggling for content. Why don't you put a post up tomorrow and just say, eh, are you looking to build muscle but sit on the bike? Are you looking to build muscle but do cardio? There's your post. And that's someone's going to go, we were on the bike yesterday. <laughs> you know, that's and that's exactly just, right. It's just an example of, like you say, just having conversations you did those boot camps and um you'd be prepared to you know have to listen because we just keep talking now and there's so many you know you know sunshine and rainbows that kick about in the industry now that you just need to listen um and i love that mate i appreciate that um that feedback um moving away from the pt game let's talk let's just merge it in because as you know uh, you'll have found over the years and i'm just starting to see uh, when i'm helping pts that actually it's the exact same as fat loss it mirrors the two, just mirror, mirror yes. each other exactly. That is it's exactly like that example, right. the example you used with, or you know, I want to be an online coach and say, like, whoa, it's like I want to be a size eight, I want <laughs> to be ten stone, I want to be this amount of pounds, you know. So, what would you say on that? In fact, I mean, about how how closely they are related, so that both groups of listeners can you know benefit from that. It's the exact same thing. It, it is. It's and it's the more I help coaches the more I realize it's exactly the same thing. And, and it's funny because a lot of coaches get really mad at their clients. They're like, you're just not committed. You're not doing what you're saying you're doing. You're not like you're, you're using excuses, all this other stuff. And then I'll have coaches tell me, they're just like, oh, just like, I don't know. I feel like I'm doing everything right. And my social media is not growing. And I'll be like, well, how many times have you posted in the last week? And then, I, and I'll be like, uh, like every day and I'll go to their page and they posted like twice. And I'll be like, this is the exact same thing as your clients when you tell them to hit their calories and they're like, I feel like I'm hitting all my calories, but I'm just not losing weight. And then you're like, well, how many days have you hit your calories this week? They're like every single day. And then you look at their food log and you're like, well, no, you actually only hit them twice this week. It's like this, you have this perception of what you're doing and then there's the reality of what you're doing. And for me, one of the things that I'll, I'll say to clients or to my coaches, to coach, they'll be like, do you tell your clients to eat fruits and vegetables and eat lean proteins and drink water every day? And they're like, yeah, of course. I'm like, cool. So you posting on social media every day is you're drinking fruits, is, is eat, drinking your water, eating your fruits and vegetables. If you're not posting on social media every day, then you don't have a reason to be upset with your clients for not drinking water and eating fruits and vegetables every day because it's the exact same thing. And, and surprise, surprise, it all boils down to consistency and patience and, yeah. and like putting in the effort. That's really all it is. It's those three things: consistency, patience, and putting in the effort. And, and that's really everything in life. But it's that's it. Yeah, spot on. I love that. Uh, and I, and that, like you say, it's when you start to help coaches that you actually realise the advice is just the exact same. And and the proof is in the pudding. It's black and white. It's as simple as that. Um, awesome, man. So what I want to ask you quickly as well, um, and I don't hope it doesn't veer down another track, um, is about the Big Mac challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so talk us through that, mate. Talk us just briefly about that, Why? what you started, why you were going to do it, so the listeners can um, sort of get an understanding and how, how it went. Yeah, so basically, um, 
I ate one Big Mac every day for 30 days. Uh, and it wasn't just one Big Mac. I ate a Big Mac and I had normal, regular, healthy food. Uh, the goal was to show people that they can enjoy their favorite foods in moderation and still make progress and lose weight. Um, I think a lot of people misinterpret it and say like, well, you're, are you suggesting that we eat fast food? Are you suggesting that we eat like this all the time? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Big Macs are healthy. I'm not saying that you should have Big Macs every day or you should have Big Macs at all. The whole purpose was it doesn't matter if it's a Big Mac or a slice of pizza at your daughter's birthday party or a slice of cake at your nephew's graduation ceremony or if you, God forbid, just want to have an ice cream cone because you want to have an ice cream cone. I don't care. I just want you to feel comfortable and confident knowing that you can live and enjoy your life, enjoying some of your favorite foods without feeling like you're trapped in a prison and you can't enjoy anything and, God forbid, you have one bite of a cheese it and all of a sudden you're fat and you ruined all your progress. No, spot on. Uh, I watched it all. For anyone listening, jump on Jordan's highlights and have a have a little watch. It's pretty good. That takes us on our next point there, mate. The fact of you um, highlighting the people's restrictiveness and how it ends up inevitably leading to them, you know, failing in their diet. Um, a, a subject you touch on a lot, and I do get a lot of people asking me the question when I put up podcast topic ideas, um, and that's binging. So, can you give us a couple of minutes worth of just absolute knowledge bombs, mate, on people listening to this who? are binge eaters and you know what's the best sort of protocols you would give them to to overcome it or to realize that it's not the end of the world and stuff yeah i think you know with binge eating i think the first thing that's really most important for people to understand with this is not even necessarily something that uh it's, it's not something to um actually overcome it i think the first thing that people really need to hear with binge eating is that so many people struggle with it that it's very, very, very common. And I, the distinction I make here is it's it's very common. It happens to a lot of people. It's not normal, right? It's not normal behavior. It's not healthy behavior. We don't want to say, well, yeah, this is normal for you to do because it's not. But it is very common and many, many people struggle with it. And I think the more that you know you're not alone, the more okay you are with understanding that it's a problem you can address and you can fix. Um, I'll say, like I struggled with it for years I, because I grew up wrestling and cutting weight and went through anorexia and bulimia and binge eating like the wrestling for years at a very high level. This is something it's something women are more comfortable talking about, especially with each other. Men don't talk about it very much. Men tend to any type of a lot of emotional issues, mental health issues, food issues. Men are much more quiet about they keep to themselves, which is one of the reasons why I talk about it a lot. But it's actually basically equally common in men and women like the percentages is basically equal but women talk about it much more and i think it's really important for people to know it happens to everybody and if you're struggling with it it's very very common uh, and once you know that it's something you struggle with then i think the best place to start is usually by not counting calories because a lot of times when people are binge eating it's they're they're doing it from a place of being overly meticulous with their calories and oftentimes they're either counting and or they're doing intermittent fasting. I literally just got a question maybe an hour ago from someone who said, I went on a huge binge for the last day. Do you think I should fast for the next 24 hours? And I was like, absolutely not. Because that's that's the binge restrict cycle where they binge and then they're strict and they binge and they're strict. The, most, the first and foremost thing you have to do is you have to eliminate that, you have to cut off the cycle, right? So usually what people do is they'll binge and then after the binge, they'll feel really guilty, then they'll restrict. And it's way easier said than done to just 
stop to not binge again, right? It's like, okay, well, I'm just not going to binge again after this, but that's not how it works. So you have, there's, there's two parts in this equation. You have the binge part and then you have the restrict part. If the binge is the really emotional part that you really struggle to control, and then the restrict is the one that you have more control over, you have to cut the restricting part out. Because once you cut the restricting part out, the desire to binge tends to go away. So rather than trying to control the binge, start controlling the restrict, which basically means instead of trying to just fast for 24 hours or 48 hours or 72 hours, trying to not eat, make sure you just get back on track. Just go to your next meal and be deliberate with it and get back on track because once you eliminate that desire to restrict, now you actually end up on the back end restricting the desire to binge. Yeah, love that. I mean, I've never looked at it in that way. I think it's easy just to target the actual binge itself and, you know, dissecting that and wondering if there's what's the, you know, the trigger foods and everything else. Uh, but that's, that's awesome to hear it that way. I never really took a step back, I guess, because I've probably never had those binging habits. Yeah. You know, to be honest, to be honest, Jordan, that's probably one of the reasons I've not fully covered it in the podcast. Um, but that's where I, I knew as soon as I got a guy like yourself and I was like, ask them. Um, because I can help, you know, I can help my clients with it and, you know, try certain behaviors, um, but not to the degree where I can speak from an empathy point of view. You know? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people, they ask, like, if, if I regret it or I, like, wish it never happened. Um, my own struggles with binge eating and disordered eating have made me more relatable. Like it's the things that I can say on social media come from a place of having been through it. So I think me, it's one of those things where I, I even, I spoke about this recently, um, maybe on another podcast where I almost struggle to, to tell people not to, not to do something right. Where like, if I know there's a behavior that is disordered in eating, part of me struggles to just outright tell someone not to do it because I know that if they do it, they'll learn from it. Right. So it's like part of me as a teacher and as an educator and as a coach, it's hard to balance. Right. Cause I think as a coach, we always just want to lead people down the right path. We just want to make sure this is the right path. This is the healthy path. This is the one to go down. Almost like a parent, a parent never wants their kid to skin their knee or to get hurt or to fall or to not get onto the soccer team. Like they want their kid to succeed. But if you never let your kids skin their knee, then they're never going to learn. They're never going to build up resilience and strength. And you have to let your kid fall so they can learn how to pick themselves back up. Same thing with our clients. If a client tells me they want to try keto and I'm like, it's in my head, I'm like, 95% of people will not be able to sustain that a long time and I don't let them try it, that might actually be me preventing them from having a learning experience that will now learn why it's not a good choice and they can make better decisions on their own. A, and this is, I don't even know where I'm going with this other than it's just more like some cognitive dissonance on my end as a coach where it's like, do you only let them go down the right path or do you help them navigate it on their own so that, and you can be there to support them while they go through yeah. it? in case of any health markers start to deteriorate. A perfect example that I feel is, I don't, you know, I don't know how big it is, it's probably massive as everything is in the States, but um, very, a lot of personal trainers and coaches take to bodybuilding competitions and competing and, you know, doing shows and everything else. And a lot of the time they dive in too soon. They dive in far too early. They don't have the muscle mass. It's maybe because Instagram, they've maybe jumped on the hype. Don't get me wrong, they've found a, they've found a purpose, they've found a goal, great. Um, but what's ended up happening is because that one person wasn't ready, they then are left with typical sort of, most of the time, very low calories, very bodybuilder calories, uh, bodybuilder cardio. So they've got a bad, 
I don't want to say bad relationship with either of these, but they're not in a good place come the end of it. Then what happens then? But what they've learned in that process is they've probably got in the best shape of their life, maybe four weeks before the shoot of the show. And then they all of a sudden start to badmouth those kind of things. And it's like, well, like you said, that example you gave where the kid scraped his knee, you you actually four weeks before the shoot looked the best you've ever looked, the best you've ever felt, the strongest you ever were. And you're now disencouraging people to even start that process. And I don't mean bodybuilding shows, I just mean photo shoot, I just mean holiday. Yeah, but you you then start to take them away from actually let them try let guide them. And if it gets a bit, you know, any warning signs, any health markers when check in day, then pull them back. But I love that. Let's let them, you know, push steer them and, and be honest with them. And, and if they if they've got they want to give a good go, happy days. I've got fifteen girls, uh, three guys, thirteen girls on a photo shoot coming up. Just a team photo shoot, it's not gonna be anything crazy. Obviously as a coach I'm wanting to promote health and well being, everybody feeling good, looking good. Uh, for a lot of them it's whoa out of their comfort zone but I'm like you know you want to do it you want a big scary goal here it is and I will you know I've gotten myself down to decent levels of body fat but that's not what they're going to be doing so I'm not going to force that as a trainer just because that's my agenda as well exactly so I think I love that mate about just making sure that sometimes people need a nudge to go yeah no not you don't want to say I told you so but the keto thing it's like yeah you're back right okay let's try something <laughs> you know uh so yeah, that's I love that, mate. Um, next point I want to ask you, mate. You've probably spoke about it a million times, um, but Gary V. So I just want to, I want to kind of talk about how you know. I mean, you already are like your mindset and stuff is. Um, I don't know where you where you were at before you met him. It probably had a big influence on your life. I watched a YouTube video a while ago about the last day you kind of trained him and stuff. But just share with us like what you learned from him on a daily basis. What kind of what kind of traits you learn, what mindset you learn, because, you know, the guy's massive, the guy's influencing a lot, a lot of people now, um, as, as are you. Um, but what, what would you say um, you, learn, you learn from him from, on a daily basis from training him? Man, I think, um, you know, I'll say a couple things. A lot of people ask me, like, man, just like, you must have learned so much from training Gary every day. And as anybody who's coached anybody in person knows, like, let's say you work with an accountant in person, it's not like all of a sudden just because you're coaching an accountant in person, like you're just getting all the best finance lessons and accounting lessons. It's like it's the same thing. And not to mention Gary's unbelievably busy. He's like, if someone told me he was busier than the president of the United States, I would actually believe it. Um, like he's so busy, it's insane. So it, the vast majority of what I learned from Gary was from watching him, not from necessarily what he told me. Um, I think, and he says this a lot in his content, he's like, watch what I do, not what I say. He says that all the time. He's like, look at my content, look at the stuff I'm making, look at how I'm producing, look at where I'm behaving and frame your own schedule off of that, not off of the actual words of what I'm saying. And the reason he says that is because he doesn't want people to copy his words and think that that's what they have to do. He's like, if you're, he, one of his favorite uh, is like most famous sayings is like, if you love Smurfs, Smurf it up. Basically being like, if if you're into Smurfs and like you want to sell Smurfs, then follow his behavior, talk about Smurfs, create great Smurf content, but don't use his words. And so from being with Gary for three years, I think the greatest benefit that I took was learning how hard he actually works. He, yeah. he works harder than anybody I've ever met in my life. He's constantly working there. It's, I mean, I have a schedule on my phone. Like he goes nonstop from 6am until sometimes 2am just every day, 
nonstop meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And in these brief pockets of windows where he doesn't have a meeting, he finds the time to post on social media and answer comments and like go live and just like, he's just nonstop all day, every day. And it's sort of like when you look at a, you might train with a high level bodybuilder, for example, you might go to the same gym as a high level bodybuilder. And if you go to a gym, for example, where you're the strongest person at the gym, you're the most fit person at the gym, it's sort of easy to slack off. It's sort of easy because you're already the best, right? Like where else could you go? Like you're already winning. But when you go to a gym where high level bodybuilders train, you might never reach their level. You might never actually be an elite high level bodybuilder. But because you trained with them and you knew you had so much room to improve, you got better than you would have if you stayed at the best at the gym you were before. So it's like being with Gary, I've come so much further because I know that I have so much more to give and so much more room to grow. I don't ever expect to reach Gary's level. I quite frankly don't ever want to reach Gary's level because I know how much sacrifice that will take. But knowing how much there is left on the table and the amount of space between Gary and me, even if I only get to here, that's like 25% better than I would have been otherwise. And that's huge. Yeah, yeah. and that's because your, your environment has created that situation where you can aim for the stars. You know, it's like you say, if you're the biggest, heaviest, muscliest guy in the gym, you're giving yourself a pat of back on your bad days. And you're, you know what? I'm actually doing pretty well. It's the same as, honestly, like, you know, when, I, when I'm looking to branch and grow my PT business, um, there's, I'm, I'm looking to have conversation with guys like yourself where I have to just shush and listen um, because there's an authority there. There's a, there's a, I've been there and done it. There's um, a ridiculous wealth of knowledge and experience. So I'm looking to have conversations with guys like you because it, it takes me out of my comfort zone. It makes me learn. It makes me listen. Whereas if I'm in a local gym with two or three other trainers and I'm the best trainer in there, how much am I going to grow? That's um, exactly right. So yeah, yeah, so I, it, that, that's one thing I would say to trainers listening or even anyone in any workplace listening, that if you're sitting around your table and think that you're the best in work and that's enough to not stay on an extra hour to then, you know, send a few emails where your boss notices and you're the next in line for promotion, then, you know, make sure your environment is, yeah, never be the smartest in the room, I guess they always say, is, is the saying that stands, stands still. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So awesome, mate. I think uh, we'll wrap up with that. I know you're a busy man. Uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you crack on. Um, I appreciate you coming on, but um, anybody who uh, doesn't already follow Jordan, uh, it's S Y S Fitness. I'll uh, I'll be tagging the stuff anyway in the in the bio, and uh, you guys have got to follow them because I I don't know one person that doesn't get value from what you do, but from the funny videos to the you know the, the tongue in cheeks that are like just text as well offers a ton of value. So yeah, mate, massively appreciate it. I learned a lot today, and I know everybody else listening with us. So thanks again, man. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Awesome, bud. So let's see the stop recording.